Hey everybody, Jeremy here. So as you can tell, this is not our usual introduction. And that's because this is not a typical episode of the Performance Matters podcast. Instead of talking about how to optimize performance and grow your business, this episode is a conversation about racial equality and what organizations and leaders can do to create systemic change. It's my pleasure to hand things over to our guest host, Leah Clark. Welcome to our podcast on diversity and inclusion. I'm Leah Clark, Director of Leadership at GP Strategies. I'm a white woman with European heritage, and the pronouns that I use to identify myself are she, her, and her. I am honored to be joined by Lisa Gray. Lisa, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Thank you, Leah. My name is Lisa Gray. I use pronouns she, her, hers. I am currently the Associate Director for Student Diversity and Inclusion within Campus Life at UMBC, or the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And I self-identify also as Black, African-American, multi-ethnic. Great. Thank you so much. I really am honored that you're here to chat with me today. And I wanted to just jump right into things and get your perspective on the events going on in the world right now, and most notably in the U.S. With so much unrest sparked by George Floyd's murder, but truly prompted by the culmination of so many similar tragedies, Ahmed Arbery, Freddie Gray, Trayvon Martin, I, I could certainly go on, unfortunately, with that list. Do you think that we are at a tipping point or an inflection point with respect to how we as a nation address racism? Uh, that is a great question. And one I'm going to flip and ask you to give me your opinion on, Leah, if you will. Yeah, I guess what I would say is I hope we are. I certainly hope we are. And I want to believe that we are. I see signs that are different from what I've seen in the past. And I think some of those signs, for me at least, are, you know, that that we, we simply can't ignore it anymore. When I say it, I mean the injustices, the the blatant unequal treatment, both in terms of law enforcement, but also uh, medical care, certainly financial uh, inequities that increasingly it can't be ignored. And I think I see people increasingly getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, meaning willing to name it, to say that they were wrong, to stand up, uh, to certainly share on social media, which I think has been a big influencer in certainly helping to increasingly, you know, force people's attention on what maybe had happened previously, but been unseen. So I hope we're at a tipping point. I think the pain right now is too great to be ignored. And so my hope is that we are. And perhaps my only hesitation is that, have we been here before? You know, have we seen uh, injustices happen and ultimately uh, we fall back to a center? I hope that's not the case. And I hope we're at a tipping point. Yes, I hope that too. Thank you for sharing that. I would, I would also add, we are beyond a tipping point. I would offer that the tipping point happened a while ago, and it's just certain parts of our society that are now catching up to it. Can you share more what you mean by that? Yes, absolutely. So this is about history showing up in the present, ultimately. We have yet in U.S. American society to contend with 
our 400 plus years of history around racism, classism, and sexism, the three interlocking isms that built this country from the time white European American settlers came to these shores that immediately resulted in the genocide of Native Indigenous people on these lands. The complete genocide has not happened, thankfully, because those cultures still remain and those folks still walk this land, which is rightfully theirs. Yet their, their cultures and their language was decimated first, immediately followed by the forced enslavement of Black Africans through 400 plus years of slavery. And then along the way, having people of Asian descent, people of Hispanic and Latino or Latinx descent help to build this country, but also be erased and have violence happen against their bodies, state-sanctioned especially. So we have been experiencing just over the past week and a half to two weeks, the culmination of our history in the present. That's all. And I think it is yet another defining moment in this project we call democracy as it relates to U.S. American culture and society. What we do with this moment will determine how our country moves forward in the future, what our children's lives will be like, what their children's lives will be like, and what U.S. America will look like and feel like very soon. If we don't fully absorb all that is available to us in this moment. And what does fully absorb look like? What what does that sound like to fully sure. absorb this moment? A fully absorb means this is a time for awareness raising, consciousness raising. This is the time to listen more and speak less. If you do not identify as a Black, Indigenous person of color who is also now that we're in Pride Month, LGBTQ+, or lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer identified, if you are not a person in one of those racialized bodies that I just named, who are also Muslim, Jewish, pagan, or some other underrepresented religious or spiritual tradition, if you are not a person who is poverty line or even working class, now's not the time for you to be speaking. First, now's the time to be in a listening posture, raising your awareness, extending offers of support, meaningful support to people in those communities that I just listed, and then waiting for them to say yes to it or to say no or to not respond and to be okay with that. This is a moment to then educate yourself, especially if you are a formally educated person with any kind of degree, whether it's an associate's degree, all the way up to a PhD. That is a very privileged group of folks from a global perspective. We can Google right now. We can access a library right now. (laughs) We do not need to be burdening that responsibility on people for whom their lived experience is in jeopardy right now. Their lives are on the front of our news screens, our TV screens, our social media, our cell phones, our smartphones. They don't need to be educating 
those of us who are formerly educated right now. And then third, we need to be acting. We need to take that awareness raising. We need to take then all of that listening and that education as best we can, even if it's quick article readings we've done, what have you. And then we need to act. Then we need to put our money where our mouth is. We need to do something that is going to bring about positive social change that isn't just going to benefit people that look like we look or believe what we believe, but really is about the collective whole of this nation and to consider the experiences of people who are very different from us. And so what that action can look like is protesting, like we've seen countless people doing all over this nation, as well as now the globe. It can be as simple as writing an email to our local, state, or federal elected officials about our, our expectations for positive change for Black, Indigenous, other people of color, for poverty line people, for people who are LGBTQ+, so that we can have equality, let alone equity, for those groups. And it also could look as simple as having deep conversations with your family and friends in your respective circles that you have never had before, having the moral courage to risk in those spaces some of your privilege and discomfort so that you can begin to move forward together as a family, as a friend group, as a social group, as an organization. Now is the time to be having hard yet meaningful and authentic and truthful conversations with people in our lives because sugarcoating is not going to be okay. We are in a global pandemic where black identified folks are at the front lines of a virus that is killing us. We are at also a moment where black and indigenous folks are being disproportionately impacted by state sanctioned violence, not just in the U S but all over the world that threatens our very existence, our ability to even walk freely in the world and to exist. So now is the time to be uncomfortable if none of that is something that is in your experience. That was incredibly helpful, and and I appreciate the the specificity that you gave, uh, especially for me. I'll say, um, I've done some of what you've suggested, but I also sometimes, you know, look inward and say, what more can I do? And what you just shared um, was incredibly powerful and specific. And and I also appreciate um, you talked about listening and educating and acting. I think you also, for me, said something that I've been more sensitive to lately is, is listen if someone wants to share, right? But sometimes that individual may not want to be the one to need to educate you to their pain. And so if we do have the advantage and the ability to self-educate, I think that that's a particularly uh, important takeaway for me that I've tried to be more tuned into. And then those deep conversations as well. I, I guess what I'd, what I'd love to um, segue to a little bit is, and maybe you can address 
both of these together. A lot of our listeners are in the the corporate space, in the business world. I know you have experience in corporations. At the same time, you also have current experience in higher ed. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, both your experience readying students to become future leaders of tomorrow, and then also a little bit about your work in, in organizations helping to increasingly encourage leaders in the areas of diversity, inclusion, and equity? Sure. I'm happy to do that. So first, I started out my career at a time when we didn't even use the language of diversity, equity, and inclusion, let alone social justice. Uh, it was called multiculturalism at the time. And so in the mid-90s, I got my master's degree, immediately entered higher education to do multicultural support and education work with college students who were typically 18 to 24 at a small liberal arts institution. But very quickly, I, through that work, was invited to work with community groups in the city that I was living in at the time. I was pulled into early race equity, what are now called race equity conversations that led to facilitated discussions and workshops, centering race as a social identity amongst many identities from a multicultural perspective. I fast forwarded from that moment on to then expand that work while also this evolution was happening in the work. We were moving from doing multicultural work to diversity work, which is just about having a bunch of different people in different bodies. That's all it it essentially is, making sure that there's representation is how we would say it now. And so I expanded my reach and work to nonprofit organizations. I ended up working with some K through 12 teachers. I ended up working with some corporate groups, smaller corporate groups. And then I re-entered higher education to do diversity education and program work in the late 90s to early 2000s, and then shifted yet again to do work in the public sector uh, for state agency here in Maryland, doing specific diversity management leadership training and development with supervisors and managers, as well as employees, all with a diversity lens and uh, from a diversity-based perspective. And then fast forward again, I end up leaving that agency while also building networks in all of those other groups that I mentioned before to re-enter higher education at a moment when we were shifting from diversity to inclusion work. And then now we're shifting yet again from inclusion to equity work. So there's been this vast, vast evolution of work that has occurred in less than 30 years that has me constantly having to learn, unlearn, educate, re-educate, and then position myself to act differently as an agent of change within all of the organizations, professional and personal, that I've inhabited. And that's been an amazing process for me personally. But what I've noticed in that process, Leah, is that not everybody has been able to catch up with that rapid change. Mm -hmm. 
some folks that I work with, including students, are still kind of stuck in the multicultural place. Mm-hmm, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that those of us who do this work left a long time ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, there's there's a question I have for you, even in what you're saying here and, and the distinction you're making about the evolution, right? So you talked about a lot of times we talk about diversity and inclusion, and you've been very intentional to also say diversity and inclusion and to mention equity. And for for me and for our listeners, can you help us understand the evolution of what I see now as, again, the mentioning of equity along with the phrase diversity and inclusion and why that is so important? Absolutely. So I'll try to be as succinct as I can be because there's a whole body of research across a lot of different knowledge perspectives and fields that can speak to each of these terms in very particular ways. So I will give you the, I would say, sociological, anthropological, to a certain extent, social justice framing of these three terms. So in those worlds, diversity is simply representation. All it means really is that you have different people in the same space together. Inclusion, however, is different people in the same space interacting meaningfully in a way that makes sense for them and that is fair to the extent possible. And then equity is making sure that the different people in the space together that are interacting meaningfully now have access to power equally access to resources equally that makes sense for who they are at the individual group and other collective level. So a shorthand way of explaining all that is you could see diversity as an international airport. Everybody's there together in the same space for basically a similar purpose to go somewhere. Inclusion is when you have the folks working in that airport actually facilitating people getting where they need to go, being respectful as they do so, acknowledging people appropriately, and then making sure they get to their final destination. Equity is making sure that all those different people in the airport get on the plane they're supposed to get on, in the seat that they have paid for, have that seat adjusted according to their body size, height, weight, etc., are then offered all the things that go along with that flight, as well as asked, is there anything else you may need that I have not given to you yet by the flight Mm -hmm. attendants? That's very helpful. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. So I'm glad that's helpful. I mean, there's numerous infographics out here about equity now that are so helpful. There's one with, you know, three different people looking over a fence, that's very wonderful. And then I've used that in my trainings and workshops before. But one way that I framed equity, just to kind of add a little bit to what I've said, and then I'll let you continue, Leah. You know, equity is, or rather equality. Let me start there, which gets often confused with equity. Equality is making sure that everybody has shoes. Equity is making sure, sure that everyone has shoes that fit them properly and that they can walk and move through the world to get to their respective destinations. 
Thank you. I, I've also heard, and I don't know if this would, would uh, resonate with you, but I, I know a quote, I, I can't attribute it right now, but that essentially, you know, diversity is being invited to the party, inclusion is being asked to dance, and equity was being part of the planning committee. And I don't know if that resonates with you, but that that was one, one way I've, I've heard it explained that sometimes in, in my simple brain helped me at least to think a little bit about how how to view those three. Absolutely. That is another wonderfully simplistic uh, (laughs) analogy that I love that really helps people to break these terms down. Absolutely, Leah. And I do acknowledge it's simplistic. So thank thank you for indulging me and and explaining in much more eloquent terms. I do appreciate that. I wanted Lisa to ask you a, a final question. And then at the end, I did just want to please kindly ask you to share a little bit of your contact information. But my final question for you is, you know, what can organizations do? You know that a lot of the individuals who we hope will be listening to this podcast will be um, heads of human resources, talent management, really senior leaders within their organizations. And what I'd love for you to do is give them your thoughts on, you know, ways that they can respond the way organizations can respond in a way that demonstrates a commitment to real change. Absolutely. And and I'm going to use some plain and, if you will, simplistic language that will hopefully resonate with your audience right now, just because I feel like in, in all kinds of fields, we we use just way too much jargon and terminology that most people don't understand unless they do that work. So. Here's what I would say to that. What in this present moment, particularly profit-making companies, but also public entities and nonprofits need to be thinking about doing is first, some of what I mentioned earlier, doing some awareness raising, looking in the mirror and encouraging their colleagues, their leadership to do the same thing, do self-examination. What do I know? What don't I know about what is happening in our world right now, particularly in our nation? I would also say, second to that, do not waste a whole lot of time on statements that really do not mean much of anything to most people right now. I understand the value of them in terms of being able to signal to clients, to stakeholders, what your organization or company may stand for. And I will offer that in this present moment, all that is for most people that you are actually trying to reach that are front and center in where we are right now, that doesn't matter. Those words ring hollow and don't really help people to understand what actions your organization or company are willing to take. So the second thing I would add to do is to then, you know, concentrate on educating yourself on U.S. American history, and in some cases, global history of Black, African, African African-American and Caribbean people, of indigenous people in the U.S. and beyond, and other people of color, Asian, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, South Asian people, those who are specifically, say, Indian or Pakistani, people who are of different religious and faith traditions beyond Judeo Christian getting to know what you don't know, learning more about Islam, learning more about paganism, learning more about humanism, atheism, and agnosticism and the differences between all of them. Those are just some short examples. 
And I would also add that with all of that education needs to, again, go, and I'm going to take us back to what we talked about earlier. You, you got to stay in a listening posture all mm-hmm. while you're doing education right now. It's not the time for you to speak on things that you don't know. Educate yourself first. Ask questions of people who share your same identities, particularly if you are white identified, male identified, and upper middle class and formally educated. Really, really important right now. Mm -hmm. I would also add, since again, many of your listeners may know that this month, June is National Pride Month. If you are not LGBTQ+, now is not the time to be speaking, particularly to trans-identified people about what they think about what is going on right now, if you are straight and cisgender in particular. And then last part about the action is to really look at some resources that can then help you to act and create positive social change within and outside of your organizations, within your families, within your communities. Some good thought leaders, past and present, to be and resources as well, to be looking at right now especially to understand what is happening with the current evolution of the Black Lives Matter movement on top of what is going on with the pandemic for Black, Brown, and Indigenous people, as well as Asian, Asian American people within that whole Asian, Pacific Islander, and Desi or South Asian diaspora is to look at the work of Fred Hampton, to look at the work of Grace Lee Boggs, to look at the documentary 13th by Ava DuVernay, to seek out and contribute to, when possible, Black-led organizations that are doing this work and have been for decades and decades. There's some wonderful things being put out on social media right now with all kinds of anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-heterosexist organizations that we could be learning from right now. And then an article that I would like to suggest that comes from an unexpected source for some, Teen Vogue. <laughs> uh, I never saw that one coming. but <laughs> I know you didn't. I know you didn't. But it's one that I recently came across that I think I want to offer to the audience, and that is how Black activists shaped the labor movement. This is particularly important for corporate folks to read an article like this. Mm-hmm. because. Every corporation is in a position to hire people right now in some way, shape or form, for the most part, depending on their field and what their funding is like right now, of course, and their budgets. Mm -hmm. So, yes, those are some quick next steps, resources, next step, excuse excuse me, resources and and potential thought leaders to be thinking about right now. I will add one more, actually, that just popped into my head. Dr. Adrienne Keene on Twitter is a Native Indigenous woman who does some great research and work on Indigenous peoples. It'll be well worth following her as well. Wonderful. 
Thank you. I have uh, personally been scribbling furiously as as you've shared these resources <laughs> and these names. So so thank you. I'm sure uh, I hope our our listeners will be doing the same. And as we wrap up, I certainly wanted to suggest, you know, and and first of all, thank you really quite humbly for your time and your expertise lending those to this podcast. I would love for you to share your own information as a resource to the individuals on this call so that you know, they might be able to connect with you if it makes sense and uh, know that you are also um, able to bring your thought and your expertise to this conversation. And uh, so Lisa, please share, go ahead and share your information. Sure. Um, So I would love for folks and invite people to contact me in the following ways um, by email at Lisa M as in Marie Gray, G-R-A-Y, the number seven, at gmail.com, by cell at 410-227-1364. You can find me on Facebook under Lisa M-G-R-A-Y 93. I prefer to be reached out via Facebook Messenger in particular. I am also on Twitter, uh, and my handle is at Lisa M. Gray 7. And if you want to read my background and experience. Um, I am on LinkedIn as well under Lisa M. Gray, G-R-A-Y again. Well, Lisa, again, I wanted to thank you for your time today and for sharing your expertise, lending your voice. Uh, I do hope that we have the opportunity to chat and perhaps record another podcast in the future. Uh, And thanks to all of our listeners. Thank you, Leah. It was a pleasure. And uh, I hope this will serve your listeners well. And I look forward to us uh, working together to move forward and change the world. I do as well. Thank you. Thank you. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.